58 today. If you want to open to Psalm 46, began on December 10th is when I started this study. Um, I was going to cover Psalms 46 through 48 that day, but uh, only half of my notes printed. And uh, Miles didn't realize that that was half of my notes. So when he brought them up and put them on my book, uh, in my, in my uh, notebook to bring to church that day, uh, right before I was getting up here to speak, I realized I had half of my sermon. I was ready to go home and get the other half, and Rick was like, we don't have time for that. I was like, oh, no. Um, but God does what he does, and, uh, and I thought, uh, no thanks to me. All praise to God. I thought that that was a great study, uh, and, that, and God showed us things. Um, we're in this stretch of Psalms by the sons of Korah, and we spoke about their background, how they were not constrained to be as their ancestor Korah, who challenged Moses and wanted more authority than God had determined for him, and how we're not constrained by our ancestors. Um, and we're not to be hindered by their actions, nor are we to rely on their actions. Their holiness, while it could benefit us, while it could influence us, is not what we're to rely on. God's got his own relationship uh, for each of us uh, with him. He's given us all the opportunity to respond to him and be satisfied, to be content with the inheritance that he gives us. Uh, Numbers 15 relayed the commandment of God to put that one blue thread in the tassels on the corners of their robes. Their robes, there were tassels all the way around, but just on the corners, one blue thread that his word might stand out to them against everything else. And now we have his word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who should stand out to us against everything else that we would not follow the harlotry to which our own hearts and eyes are inclined. We talked about the prophetic nature of their words, fulfilled to some extent that in their time, and that will come to full fruition at the end, and we'll see some more of that today. So we'll continue in Psalm 47 here, but since I, was, I will be mentioning the sons of Korah again, I wanted to provide that little review and also because I got this question from a couple of people, I wanted to address it here for everyone. The question after that uh, message, the question was, if Korah got swallowed up, how do we have sons of Korah? So two people came up to me afterwards and they asked me that. So if you look closely in Numbers chapter 16, you'll see that Korah's co-conspirators, Dathan and Abiram, will not come when Moses calls them. So he goes to their tents, and in verse 27 it tells us, Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Korah is also present, but there's no mention of his children being swallowed up as there is of the families of Dathan and Abiram. Numbers 26 also recounts the story that's told in Numbers 16, uh, of Korah's rebellion, and verse 11 specifically says, the children of Korah did not die. So if you were wondering, what's going on? How do we have sons of Korah when the earth opened up and swallowed them? They didn't get swallowed. Somehow, some way, God spared some of his progeny. And then we have these guys writing these psalms that are a great blessing to us now. Rick and I love it when you ask questions especially when we can answer them. And uh, we're glad you're listening. We're glad you're pursuing things. Keep it up. 
So Psalm 47, O clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly Exhausted. Let's uh, exhausted. <laughs> like I said, Plan B. That's what you got. Uh, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are never exhausted. There's never any lack of energy for you to give to us. There's never any lack of anything that you would give to us. And we come before you asking that you illuminate your word to us, that you give us understanding of the things that you want us to hear. God, uh, help me not to be distracting. Help me not to be unclear, God. Shut out the things uh, that don't need to be heard um, and let me be, help me to be a man who handles your word of truth correctly. God, open our hearts to hear what you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So some believe that this psalm was written marking the passage of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Uh, As a city on a hill, you always go up into Jerusalem and down from it. So it's not a matter of north and south when they say, let's go up to Zion. You're not, that doesn't mean we go north, right? We get confused enough of the throughway becoming the north way. Like that's difficult for us uh, until we understand how that works. So it's not a matter of north and south here, but it's a matter of elevation. And this is addressed in Psalm 48. We'll talk about that a little later. Eventually, we'll get to a group of Psalms, uh, Psalm 120 through 134, that all have the title, A Song of Ascents. The Songs of Ascent. In other words, a song of going up. There were three feasts that, were, uh, that required travel to the temple to celebrate them, that required travel to the city that God would name to celebrate them. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which was 49 days or seven weeks after the Passover, and tabernacles in the autumn, and we've talked about the significance of those feasts many times. Last time in relative depth uh, was uh, April 17th and May 1st of 2022. If you want to go back and listen to those studies, they're on our website, along with uh, all the other sermons that we do on Sundays. Uh, It's believed that these songs were sung by those coming to these feasts in Jerusalem as they came up into the city, as they ascended into the city. Some traditions also suggest that the priests sang some of these songs as they walked up the steps to the temple, these songs of ascent, to go be in a place where God was, where his presence 
was. So assuming that this is a song marking the transport of the ark into Jerusalem. Now remember, the ark had been captured by the Philistines and had followed this kind of wayward path to come back into Jerusalem, right? So this is not the ark going into the temple. It's just coming in during David's time. David doesn't build the temple. Solomon builds the temple. But this is of the ark coming into the city. And assuming this is marking that transport, who we have ascending here into Jerusalem is God himself. The ultimate song of ascent. God himself coming into this city. In Deuteronomy 16.6, Moses tells the people to celebrate the Passover at the place where God chooses to establish his name. And then we've got confirmation that that is Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 6. And it's that this place is Jerusalem. It says, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And God's presence is ascending. And so we see this fulfillment of something that God had said to Moses hundreds and hundreds of years earlier of what was going to happen. God's prophecies continually coming forward here. First Chronicles 6.31 tells us that those appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. So now this is when it goes into the temple. After the ark of the, uh, came to rest. Oh no, this, uh, this is, sorry, this is the ark going up into Jerusalem. My apologies. Those appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest, and it lists some of the sons of Korah within that group. So it's certainly within the realm of possibility that they were singing as the ark came up to Jerusalem and wrote about that experience here afterward. So now we're talking about praising God again. We can't seem to get away from it, right? We had it in Psalm 40 from David. So I was driving with Mary yesterday, and we were talking about doing the song, Clap Your Hands, All You People. And uh, she said, why do you care so much if people clap? And I said, I don't really. She said, it sure seems like you do, because you talk about it all the time. (laughs) And, uh, And she's right. I do. So I, I don't know, I don't remember what words that I said at that point. She said, well, if that's how you feel, you should tell everybody that instead of just telling them to clap. And I try to explain it. I don't want anything. I don't demand, I can't demand anything of you. Um, when Jesus uh, was with his apostles, he said, Go into all nations, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded to you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded to you. So my job, Rick's job, is to teach. So if the command in Psalm can't do anything but teach that, If it's to praise, I can't do anything but to teach to praise. So the 
a lot of times, well, I won't say a lot of times. I remember in uh, in the church that we came from because there it was, we're going to make you do what you're supposed to do. Um, and it wasn't everybody. And again, I've talked about the blessing that I have uh, from that church, but there was a lot more pressure to be and to do certain things. Um, and there was there was this question frequently that came up, is this a salvation issue? Anybody ever asked that question or heard that question asked? You're, you're trying to counsel somebody and you go, well, is this a salvation issue? Do I have to do this to be saved? So everything without the saving power of Jesus is a salvation issue. There's, I meet him and I'm saved. Everything I did before that was a salvation issue and kept me from being saved. Lying, gossip, dissensions, lust is adultery, anger is murder, all of these things, right? Some of which we would consider minor. Is it a salvation issue? Jesus didn't save us so we could sit back and pick and choose which thing God calls us that we'll embrace or ignore. Because it's not a salvation issue. The work of salvation is done. Do I really care if you clap? Well, yeah, sometimes, because it sounds lame if only a couple of people do it, right? But sometimes I don't want to clap. Sometimes I, if everybody else is doing something, sometimes I'll go, I'm not doing that. That's my problem, right? So it's not about clapping, and it's not about singing, and it's not about whatever it is There's something that he has for us in each of these things that he calls us to. And the question isn't, do I have to do this? The question is, why am I reluctant to do this? What is holding me back? Is it fear of man? How many of you want to be in a snare? Have you ever seen an animal in a snare trying to get away? Have you ever seen an animal caught in a trap trying to get out? Fear of man is a snare. That frenetic look, that stress. If that's it, God has something better for you than staying there. And again, this is not all about clapping. It's just just an example of something that we should go pray continually. I'm not a prayer. Well, why? Your van might start. You know, I mean, it's like, (laughs) you should be. There's a command there. Oh, I don't, but I just don't do that. Why? Why are you reluctant to do that? I don't, well, I don't, I don't share my faith. I'm just, I'm not a people person. You know, I I can't do that. Well, why? How does God want to set you free from those things? What's holding me back? What is the enemy stealing from me that God would have me enjoy? Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Why? For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. Verse 6, sing praises to our God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Why? For God is the king of all the earth, verse 7. 
Verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Verse 9, the shields or protectors of the earth belong to God. That sounds like a cool study. Who are those? I want to know more about those that belong to God. The shields of the earth. What is God doing in the background that I'm oblivious to because of all the stuff that's going on around me? He is greatly exalted. There's a bunch of whys and they're and they're good reasons. And we find how in the second half of verse seven, how are we to sing praises with understanding? So just because I tell you to clap, that means nothing. Do it with understanding. Praise, do it with understanding. Pray, do it with understanding. Not just with your mouth, but also with your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and with all your strength. The children of Israel are introduced to that in Deuteronomy 6. And Jesus stamps that concept as the greatest commandment in Mark 12, 30 and 31. And what's the other one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I'm not the kind of guy that loves my neighbor. (laughs) Let them stay on their side of the fence. What does God have for you in loving your neighbor? What does he have for you in all these things? He calls you to do it with understanding. Where will the understanding come from? Immersion in his word, time with him in prayer and meditation, doing the things he calls you to do even when they scare you or you don't want to do them. Uh, I hope that you've had this experience. And if you haven't, I hope that you will. That you do something that scares the life out of you and God shows you what he wanted to teach you in that. And he shows you the blessing. Some of you can think of things right now where you're like, yeah, that was amazing. He's still amazing. And he still wants to bring you further than you would go yourself. Um, so verse 4 of Psalm 47 says this, he will choose our inheritance for us. This is exactly what Korah rebelled against. How are you doing with that? God choosing your inheritance for you. It's so interesting. The phrase peoples or people is used four times in Psalm 47. It's all the same word, A-M, is how it's transliterated. I assume it's pronounced am. So verse 9, it's defined as the people of the God of Abraham, right? The princes uh, of the people, the people of the God of Abraham. So it's defined specifically as Israel. In verse 1, we have all peoples. All means the whole any, each, and everything. The whole, any, each, and everything. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Everything peoples. Clap your hands. Verse 3, the sons of Korah write that he, God, will subdue the peoples, any, each, and everything peoples, under us, under the people of Israel, the nations under our feet. So in other words... Sing praises to God who will subdue you. Sing it with a voice of triumph. 
we don't equate being subdued with triumph, do we? We equate subdued with being made less. And God says, I will make you more, and you should be rejoicing in your subjugation. Because that's the truth. And we see subjugation, that's totally negative. Don't want any part of that. I want to be who I am, and I want to accede to being the greatest of who I could be. We want so much to ascend, to become great, to get for ourselves, to do better and be better. And in so doing, we crowd out the one who would God, who is greatly exalted. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Will you be subdued? Does that go against your nature? Who will you have choose your inheritance? Is that going to be you, or is that going to be him? Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king, known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled, they passed by together, they saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of woman in birth pangs, and when you, as when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. According to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. So here, um, I believe they possibly write and sing of the victory of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. So if you could go ahead and turn there, 2 Chronicles. You got 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings 20. We have... This instance. Oof. Be better if I was not in Second Kings. Okay. Second Chronicles 20, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> it happened after this, after uh, Jehoshaphat had made, um, had, it says in 19.4, uh, Jehoshaphat dwelt in, at Jerusalem. He went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. And there's some other things here that happened. And it says in uh, chapter 20, verse 1, It happened after this that the people of Moab 
with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hezazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O Lord, O O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. 
and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies, fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies, so they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So you see this victory that God gives the people, and you see what they did, right? Jehoshaphat is told, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Verse 19, we know that the children of the Korahites, the sons of Korah, were there singing. It's this great multitude that's coming against us, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes, our eyes are upon you. Jehoshaphat says, hear me, you'll be established. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. All things that we need to do today. Believe in the Lord God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. And they pray, they sing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And God sets these ambushes for the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They did nothing but praise, and God fought for them. So you see this great victory in Second Chronicles 20. And I go back and I read Psalm 48, and I think very well this could be a celebratory psalm for what God had done in this victory. He had done amazing things. They were in a position where they had no idea what to do. Every one of them afraid. So they fall on their faces. <laughs> Great action to take, right? We, we sometimes start making a list of all the things that we need to do to take care of the situation. We, have, we go through the mental gymnastics of how we're going to say what to who to make this work out right. And they went to God and talked to him about it instead. And they have this great and celebratory psalm that I think comes from it. I'm not, I, I can't make a case, ironclad case, that this is this, but it's got so many marks of it. We know the sons of Korah were there, and they're talking about the kings assembling against them. And we've got kings assembling against Israel. And the mood after three days of bringing back spoil that God had just delivered to you, that all you had to do was sing, and he delivered you. 
and they're singing this great praise of this city, the city of our God, his holy mountain, the joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Verse 3, her palaces. Verse 8, the city of the Lord of hosts, the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Verse 11, let Mount Zion rejoice. Verse 12, an imperative is given, a command, walk about Zion. Go all around her, count her towers. Verse 13, another imperative, to mark, to pay attention to her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the next generation. As you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over again this command to tell it to the next generation. Those that hadn't seen the works of the Lord, tell it to the next generation. How are you going to tell something you don't know? How are you going to tell something you don't understand? How are you going to praise without understanding? You could totally see in this, in this amazing victory a sense that they would go on forever. Can you imagine how they felt? God just did this for us. We're set. All the kingdoms around us are in fear. They're not going to come knocking anymore. What we have is going to be perpetual. And he talks about God establishing this city forever in Psalm 48. There's no city like our city. It's God's city. It'll never fall. Tour it. Tell it to the next generation and the one after that. But we know that the city did not endure. 300 years after Jehoshaphat's death, Jerusalem would be destroyed by Babylon. 300 years is a long time. But it doesn't hold a candle to forever. And these guys are talking about a city established forever. They'd come back 70 years later, but Jerusalem would again be destroyed 400 years after that by the Romans. And most of the time that they were back in that period, they were ruled over by others. The height that you see with this victory in Jehoshaphat does not last. This physical victory, this thing on earth, doesn't last. If you want to get a sense of how quickly the celebratory mood changed, Go and read on about Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. He quickly left the ways of his father, killed all his brothers to secure his power. The prophet Elijah, who dealt almost exclusively with the northern kingdom of Israel, like Jehoram is so bad, he writes him a letter, rebuking him. And Second Chronicles 21.20 says, He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and to no one's sorrow, departed. How do you like that written on your tombstone? His intestines came out. There's some like gruesome deaths in the Bible. You know, Herod Agrippa, the worms ate him. His intestines came out. I read an article about Herod the Great and the stuff that happened to him. You want to be grossed out? Go read about that. Um, so the sons of Korah, in Psalm 48, are writing about an everlasting city, one that God will establish forever in verse 8. And unbeknownst to them, I believe, they're writing prophetically here about another time. In Revelation, we learn about a new, in verse 13, we're supposed to tell of something to the generation following, 
about something that existed, right? Now, you could, you could go because of its power, the people that came against it, all the times that God saved it, and you should. And there's fulfillment in that of God's prophecies and his promises to his people to make this city enduring, but the forever city comes later. And we can tell of those things about the physical city, but I believe we are being directed to know the eternal city and to be able to talk about it with anybody. 1 John, not 1 John the book, John in the context of Revelation, Jerusalem coming down. And then he says an angel takes him to a high mountain, presumably so he can look down and see the vast expanse of this city, because this city is so big, it makes no sense for the current planet Earth. It would just like continually fall upside down, right? Not that God has to obey the laws of physics, but he takes in the enormity of it, the entirety of it. So I, I asked for a couple of representations of this city. You got them, Miles? Okay, there we go. So this is a grainy picture, and I apologize, but if you actually set the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, what's that? Two and a half trillion cubic miles? Oh, yeah, it says that. Uh, that's pretty big. That's pretty big, right? The walls are 144 cubits thick, which is 72 yards. So if you go from, you know, the 28-yard line to the goal of the other side, that's how thick the walls of the new Jerusalem are. You got the one with the gate, Miles? So the gate, it says, is made of a single pearl. Uh, I don't think that's what it looks like. I mean, I, I got it anyway because I couldn't find another one. I don't think it looks like that because that looks dumb, and I don't think anything there will look dumb. And it says, uh, it says about the gates, they're never closed in the day, and there is no night. So I don't have any idea why someone would represent it like this, like it needs to be on a hinge. I think that they're carved, the gates are carved out of an immense pearl that you can't imagine the size of the pearl. Um, so, you know, since I don't speak Spanish, uh, I said holy waters instead of living waters which is funny because the last slide that I have here is of the river that flows, the river of living water that flows through the city. So if you remember back in Psalm 46, there was a river that was written about. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle, of the Most High. So there's an ultimate fulfillment of this river that they're talking about in Psalm 46. We've got these streets of gold. The gold is, it's so pure, it's transparent. And the size of the city is just ridiculous. And the gates and everything that it's made of. So 
these guys, they're talking about city of God. They're talking about this river that will make it glad. In John 7, 37, you can leave that, you can leave that up. In John 37, 38, Jesus would say these words quite a while after the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. They seem, the sons of Korah seem to be writing about a future event. Streams that shall make glad, future tense, shall make glad the city of God. At the very least, what they're saying is that when this river is present, its streams will cause gladness. And we can walk this out today with minds controlled by the Spirit, with hearts open to what God wants to do with us and in us. And we will walk that out in the future with the river that flows directly from God. So Revelation 21 verse, I'm not going to read this. Uh, Revelation 20, the whole chapter of Revelation 21 through 22.5 speak about this amazing city. So walk about Zion. This is my encouragement to you. Walk about Zion. Go all around her. Count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. Become familiar with it, Ration. To these people, to these people, to the people around us. Not to make people believe it, but to explain it. We don't have to make anybody believe anything, but we need to be able to explain it. We need to spend time walking through this Zion that God is making. Satan wants us thinking on what our own hearts and eyes are inclined to. God calls us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. And this new Jerusalem is certainly a part of that. Last verse of Psalm 48 says, For this is our God. And it's equating him with the city. And God, this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. God will walk us there and he will take us on. And the things that are to be established forever will be established forever. There is no fear for us. He will be our guide. Now the musicians come up as I finish here. We're going to do a couple of songs and do communion here. Sons of Korah called us to walk about Zion, to go all around her. The city they referred to was destroyed and to some extent rebuilt. And we can't do exactly what they asked because the city they were referring to doesn't exist in the same way. Jerusalem as a city, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that impressive. Jerusalem is 0.35 square miles. The city of Babylon, the great hanging gardens, great building projects done in Babylon, 200 square miles. What made Jerusalem great was the presence of the Lord. 
what made Jerusalem great was God ascending into her. What makes us great is God established that by the cross. Who dwells in you? Who made you great? Who has made you the light of the world, a city on a hill? God through the cross. You got my music there? Sorry. <laughs> 